Before we start the show this week, I want to thank our sponsors at SeatGeek. Anthony and I love this app. Behind MLB at Bat, it's probably the most used app on my phone. I, I go to 50 plus ball games every summer and almost every ticket I buy is through the SeatGeek app. I've been using it long before they started sponsoring us. Uh, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's basically a ticket aggregator for the secondary market. It ranks via a color-coded system which seats have the best value across multiple ticket brokers. You can get views from the seats and you can compare prices. So like if someone is selling their ticket for 100 bucks in row five, you can see if someone from a different site is selling their seat for, I don't know, 90 bucks in row four. Even if I'm not going to a game, honestly, I'll sometimes just pop open the app and check it out just so I can see what ticket prices are going for across the country. Just trust me on this one. Download the app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code. Use the code clubhouse and receive a $20 rebate on your first ticket purchase. Our show is always going to be free for you guys. We really would just appreciate it if you could support our sponsors a little bit. And it's just going to make your lives easier. On to the show. This week in the clubhouse, Anthony and I are once again joined by baseball writer and podcaster Ben Lindbergh. Be sure to check out part one of our chat with Ben, which we released last week. In part two, Ben discusses how he lived out his dream of being the GM of his very own baseball team. We also touch on whether or not Major League Baseball is ready for an openly gay player and much, much more. Back to what Anthony was saying about the uh, the home runs being yeah. uh, up not just with the Reds but kind of across the league this year, and and you did just write a great article about uh, uh, the potential for maybe uh, juiced balls rather yeah. than juiced players. But and I've had this discussion with other friends of mine uh, earlier this season where we were trying to figure out what is happening, and yeah. that was the first place that both uh, in our heads went. So so if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I've written about that a, a couple times, just trying to figure out what is behind this record rate of home runs we're seeing this year, and we've tried to rule out every other possible explanation, and so far we can't find any great smoking gun that says, oh, it's definitely this, because... The, the really confusing part of it is that it happened very suddenly. Yep. So it was just like almost overnight at the All-Star break in 2015. So last season, guys just started hitting home runs all of a sudden. And it's really hard to come up with a non-baseball-related explanation for that. You know, like, oh, it's weather or it's the pitchers are throwing harder. Or, yeah, I mean, sure, those things are true. It's getting hotter every year and the ball carries a little bit better when it's hotter. And you know, that kind of thing, those could maybe make a small difference, but we're talking about going from everyone was saying, you know, no one's scoring any runs anymore, what are we going to do, to, oh, more home runs are being hit than ever before, and it happened really quickly in the same season all at once. So, like, Also around the time when what Mr. Manfred wants more offense, where it's yeah, like, once right. again, if we're going to get conspiracy theorists <laughs> on this, we're gonna be like, hey, now, let's, let's someone well, suspicious. And the, right. and, the, and the, you know, the factories that make the baseballs are so top secret. You, yes, you know. right. Have you been down to Costa Rica? Have you, I, uh, I have been to Costa Rica. Well, I mean, not, for, not for, for that. that. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's hard to say. And, and you know, I've, I've tried to look at all these different stats and, like, the, the minor league home run rate has not, 
changed at the same time, which is confusing because you would mm. think, you know, there's a lot of overlap between AAA and the majors. A lot of the same guys are playing at those levels in the same year. So you would think that if they were hitting a home run for some non-ball-related reasons in the majors, it would be happening at AAA too. It isn't, though. And those balls are different. The major league ball and the minor league ball are different. One is, they're both Rawlings, but one is manufactured in Costa Rica. One is manufactured in China. Different factories, who knows, maybe different processes there going on. So it's really hard to say. And and of course, everyone naturally says, oh, it's PEDs, you know, guys are juicing. And I mean, I don't know if it happened that fast. Right. That's the thing. I I can't rule it out. I don't know what guys are taking or not taking. Obviously, we haven't seen a a huge spike in positive tests. That uniformly happening all at once feels not. That's the thing. Like the whole league found this (laughs) secret (laughs) substance and it only helps hitters and not pitchers. And they all started taking it on the same day. It just doesn't seem to fit the timeline. Now, here's a question. In analyzing the stats, have you taken out the sample of Cardinals pinch hitters. <laughs> <laughs> that is weird, but we're seeing lots of home run records set all of a sudden. You mentioned the Reds one. The Orioles are maybe going to set oh, a, a, a major they league just... record for home runs. The Cardinals pinch hitters, and that's the thing. I mean, it's it's all related to, you know, kind of the rising tide lifts all boats sort of sure. things. Everyone's so you, hitting tons uh, of home the runs. The last article, I, I think I only read one of them, unfortunately. Sorry, yeah. I didn't see all of them that you'd written. But the, the one that I read, you had uh, at one point concluded about how because you had bought the balls, the right. CLA balls and the Manford balls. Yeah. Um, have you thought about trying to find game-used balls from 2014? Yeah, it's, it's tough. We tested a, a dozen new, you know, Rob Manford balls and, and a dozen. I, I keep trying to find ways to avoid saying Bud Selig balls, but I haven't, <laughs> I haven't found a good way to do that yet. Uh, but we tested these, you know, new ones and old ones. And you have to – it's really expensive. You have to send them to this laboratory where they fire the baseballs at a metal plate at high speeds. And they measure what's called the coefficient of restitution, which basically means <laughs> – That's fantastic. That's one of my favorite phrases of all time. <laughs> it basically means how bouncy is the baseball. Does it bounce – does it rebound really strongly off this metal plate or does it not? And so, you know, it, it's really hard to say. We tested a dozen of each and – It's hard because, like, the allowable limits that Major League Baseball says this is a legal baseball can fluctuate a lot from one ball to the next. Like, both balls can be legal, but one can carry, like, 40 feet farther just because of its construction. So if you just test a dozen— handmade, so, I mean, it's not— Yeah, of course. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. so if you just test a a dozen of each, you know, we we found that the new balls were slightly bouncier, but not enough to say, oh, wow, you know, it's definitely a a new baseball, but— we were just taking a dozen, so it's really hard How to say. How many do you think you would need? Uh, man, I mean, you'd probably need several dozen to be able to say, and that's assuming that these are definitely the balls that are being used in the actual game. Because, you know, we bought official Major League Baseballs, like, you know, from Rawlings.com or whatever, but is that the same as the ball that's being used in the game? There's no way to say for sure, and you could maybe try to use foul balls. That I have, have a solution. Caught. But they've been hit already, and that kind of yeah, screws, changes, up, the, yeah, changes. It screws yeah. up the testing. So right, my yeah. solution's not going to work. Then. Yeah, what we need yeah. is like a deep throat. <laughs> we need like a mole inside the clubhouse that can, you know, just spear it away a few boxes of balls that were about to be well, used. They, in the well, game. they're still using ceiling balls. Like they're they're ceiling ball. So uh, former guest, I was going to say former guest of the show, Zach Hample. Uh-huh. He's sitting on a couple thousand baseballs from yes. many many generations. Yeah, I think someone so, asked him if he want if he would donate, and he uh, declined. But oh, I. They've also they've also it. been hit and they've also bounced right. on seats. Yeah, and that's I forgot about. I didn't take that. I didn't yeah, take that. Into that's the problem. Yeah, so, so yeah. it's it's really hard to say for sure. But we just haven't been able to fit any other explanation that fits the the data. And and you know it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like you know it it is kind of a conspiracy theory story. But 
<laughs> if these home runs were not being hit, then we'd be back in the dead ball era right yeah. now because there are more strikeouts year after year after year. And so if these balls were not going over the fence when they were hit, then we would not be seeing any scoring right now. So it's not the worst thing in the world. Strikeouts. Yeah. Any better or worse than a regular out? I would say on the whole, less entertaining, probably. Uh, do you mean value-wise? From a sabermetrician standpoint, right. standpoint, yeah. Do you care if they? Do you care the strikeout numbers are going up? Uh, from a spectator's perspective, I do a little bit. I think it's a more entertaining game when the ball's being put in play, and we sure. can see guys run, and we can see fielding plays. I do enjoy like just the strikeout monster, like the you know Edwin Diaz or Andrew Miller or someone who oh. strikes out like half of the batters they face. Yeah, that hasn't gotten old for me. But I think you know the fact that every pitcher strikes out a lot of batters now. I think it might have been a more entertaining game when the ball was being put in play all the time. I, I think you know I, I, it's not a bad thing when you strike out necessarily for a hitter. It's not really worse than any other out. I mean, in some cases it is, certainly. Like if you're trying to get the run in from third or whatever it is. But on the whole, you know, if you don't put the ball in play, well, at least you didn't ground into a double play. That's the worst thing you can do, uh, which we were just talking about before. So Yeah, but I think for me, aside from that very specific example yeah. of a double play, because um, yes, there are times where strikeout is better than an out. If yeah. you are, if that, and I will be rooting for a strikeout when certain yeah, guys sure. are at the plate with a guy in first and second. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> please, just please strike out here. Yeah. Just please don't allow oh, hitting a double. Yeah. The Tigers just consistently hit. We just a bunch of old fat men. God bless them. I love them. I love them with all my heart. Station to station. Yeah. We are station, station to station, station, station yeah, ball yeah. club. Uh, God, Vic, V-Mart, his knees are just gonna <laughs> evaporate one day. On like yeah. that's how his career is gonna end. It's yeah. just gonna they're gonna go. Yeah. Uh, the amount. Of of would be triples that are singles that he hits, <laughs> uh, but whatever. But so uh, long single. Oh yeah. Um, but so uh, uh, but mm-hmm. the strikeout being from a hitter's perspective being no different. I just I couldn't disagree with that more. Just because if you put the ball in play, anything can happen. You are increasing yeah. your chances a thousandfold. I know that's not a real whatever, but <laughs> you are increasing your your chances at x number fold by anything being able to happen by an error being able to happen by being able to beat it out being whatever yeah. anything being able to happen so when i hear people be like eh, if you're a bat if you're a hitter who cares strikeouts no better than a grounder or a fly out yeah unless that specific example is in place with a double play i could not disagree more uh-huh. that oh, go ahead. well the other thing is that you know often strikeouts will go along with other good things so you know hitters who hit for a lot of power right. tend to strike out a lot because they're swinging they're hard swinging. Yeah, right yeah. so when they miss they strike out when they hit the ball right. they hit a home run same thing with guys who are patient and walk a lot. They get into deep counts. That means they strike out a lot. It also means they walk a lot and they get on base. So that's part of it, too, is that just, you know, a high strikeout hitter might still be a really good hitter. Can so. you believe that there were actual hitters, though, in many years ago who struck out fewer than 10 times a year? Yeah, times. Yeah, I mean, sure. it's, Isn't it's, that crazy? There was yeah, a stretch. it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's... You'll see, guys, there was a stretch from May to May, like 2013 or 14, something like that. There was a year-long stretch where VMart, I think, only struck out three times looking in, in like, a, a calendar year, which, once again, it's it's small sample size. It doesn't yeah. really matter. It's more so an interesting yeah. stat mm-hmm. that, oh, my goodness. Like, it is – it's unbelievable how – how because they used to change their two-strike stances. Like, it's yeah. that's, that's the biggest thing. They're not swinging for the fences anymore. They're trying to just get the bat on the ball however they can. Right. And I – Personally, I would prefer that. Uh-huh. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I understand, but that's. I, 
my favorite player is always going to be the guy that that strikes out the least. I just I feel even yeah, if he's not a power guy, even if he's not, I just I like the fact that because it seems to me that they are meant they are trying to beat this game. They're trying to figure out this game in any way they can. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, definitely if you're watching the game, I think, you know, the guy who strikes out all the time is not necessarily the most entertaining <laughs> well, watch. I mean, he might be might be one of your best hitters, but you right. might also go to the bathroom when he comes up because, you know, it's just not not as fun as the little scrappy guy who puts the ball in play and runs really hard. So, I understand <laughs> that. David Eckstein. Yeah, so, sure. I, I want to transition a little bit here and, and talk uh, about the Sonoma Stompers, just a little okay. bit, if you don't mind. And, and sure. we might talk about it in, in ways that, because I'm sure that you've talked about it just yeah. to death to a million people. <laughs> um, for the uninitiated, just very briefly, could you give a, a background of, of what your book was about and what your experience was with the Stompers? Yeah, so the Sonoma Stompers, it's an independent league team, which means it's pro players, but it's not affiliated with a major league organization. They play in a little league called the Pacific Association in California. And... Sam Miller, who is my co-author and podcast partner and a former baseball prospectus editor-in-chief also, we took over this team last summer, essentially. We we talked a team into saying, you know, two stat heads are going to come and we're going to sign players and we're going to determine what happens in the game and we're going to be in the dugout every day and in the clubhouse and we're just going to try to bring Moneyball to this low-level independent league team and see what works and what doesn't and, you know, will we get wedgies and what will happen <laughs> exactly. So did you, did you dictate, were you like the manager then We were too? not the manager. We wanted to have a manager, so there was sort of like, you know, an intermediary, kind of a, an actual person that the players would listen to, <laughs> that kind of thing, in the dugout <laughs> every day. But, you know, we were signing the players. We were in talks with the manager constantly about what we wanted to do. And, you know, and we wanted to learn from him, too. We hoped that he would learn from us, that it would be a good back and forth, give and take kind of thing. It wasn't always, <laughs> there, <laughs> but uh, that was the idea, at least. So we were kind of the front office people, but we were around the team all the time. That's interesting. Yeah, it was fun. It was kind of a dream come true. Well, so honestly, that's what I want to focus on because mm-hmm. everyone, I'm sure everyone always focuses on, on you know, the, the this experiment that you guys yeah. had. But to me, I mean, look, as a kid and I, you know, as a soon-to-be 33-year-old man, I still have the dream of one day owning my own minor league baseball team. Like, sure. that's, that's the dream. That's, yeah. that's what I want to do. And so you, on a smaller scale, were able to go and, I mean, not in a small scale, I mean, you did it, but yeah. you didn't own the team, but right. you, you, you know, you were able to run so just from a a taking away the sabermetric stuff, taking away the the day to day operations of it, just the what was that like? <laughs> like how cool was that? Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> we I still can't believe we got to do it. I I always wanted to be a GM. Like I never had delusions that I was going to be a player, but I wanted to be uh, Brian Cashman basically. And you know, I I did work in baseball for a little while. I was a Yankees intern in the baseball operations department, and I was there when they won the World Series, and it was great timing and a great experience. But I kind of realized that I don't know. I wasn't really cut out for it. I was better at writing and podcasting and editing and that sort of thing and enjoyed it more too. And still there was some part of me that thought, yeah, but it would be pretty cool to run a baseball team. (laughs) And we got to do it. And, you know, we got to sign players. And then, I mean, I've never been more invested in a baseball team than this one, which I had never heard of a year earlier. (laughs) And suddenly, you know, for the first time in years, because I, I wasn't really a fan of any team anymore. And so I had lost that feeling of really rooting for a team. You know, I might root for certain players or certain stories, but like 
really just white knuckle pitch to pitch just needing this outcome to happen. I hadn't felt that in years. And That's then cool. we go to the Stompers and, you know, <laughs> these are our guys on the field and like our reputations at stake and <laughs> we're with them all the time. So, of course, we've gotten really attached to them. And, you know, it, it just felt like the most important thing in the world that this team no one has ever heard of won from day to day. So it was amazing. How many? How long is the season? It was a short season. It's it's basically like a eighty three game season. It's a it's a short short schedule, just about three months or so. Yeah. So uh, I essentially was, the same number of games a week, more or less. Yeah, I mean, six days a week yeah. uh, with one off day. And so I went out to Sonoma. It was not the worst place in the world to sure. do this experiment, Sonoma, California. So I spent my whole last summer there, and uh, you know we were just traveling all these little towns: Sonoma, San Rafael, Vallejo, Pittsburgh, California. Just, you know, traveling with the team every day and it, it got to be a grind, of course. You know, you're going to a baseball game every day and you're scouting the opponents and you're trying to run the stats and you're trying to, you know, use all these strategies and, oh, we're losing this guy because another team is going to poach him from this other league and so we need to replace him. How are we going to, you know, get a shortstop for tomorrow? <laughs> so it was just this nonstop, you know, anxiety sort of in addition to the fact that, oh, we have to write a book about this too. So oh, I see. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, you know, that was kind of in the back of our heads. Like it was easy to forget at times that, oh, we're doing a book about this too. But, you know, it was like, oh yeah. So after the season is over, we have to write a book in three months and turn that into our editor too. So sure, sure. added to the pressure a little bit. But and I mean, I, outside of the pressure and outside yeah. of all of that though, but yeah. just kind of what was it like to live for three months. I mean, it's not minor league baseball, obviously. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the same caliber of play. It's the same as, caliber, yeah. but it's not mm -hmm. a fit because we, we all hear so many horror stories. You know, there's always articles every year coming out about yeah. the, the treatment of minor league ball right. players mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the the, the money they, they don't make and yes, their yeah. living accommodations and yeah. all that stuff. So just that experience of, so yeah, there's the grind of being there every day and the pressure that you guys have of having to, to GM the team. Yeah. But just from a, from a, you were just, a, I mean, for the most, you were a fan mm -hmm. and now you're running a team. Yeah. Uh, did you, were there, was there anything kind of, uh, like what, what kind of, sh maybe not shocked you, but what was something that, that happened that you weren't expecting that you, that you didn't really think was going to be a part of, of minor or independent baseball? Yeah. Well, I mean, independent ball, just everyone there loves baseball a lot because as you mentioned, they do not make much money and the stompers really only exist because of host families, you know, they're, so they're just people in the town who put up these players for the season. And wow. so they don't make much money, but they also don't really have any expenses because they live with the host families. The host families often cook for them. The team provides some of their meals. So they're kind of not making much and they're also not losing much. Um, and, and what is the what is their age range generally? Uh, it varied. I, the oldest player on our team was thirty seven. The wow. youngest was uh, twenty one. I guess so. Yeah. You know, on average, early to yeah. mid twenties yeah. generally. Yeah. And a lot of guys who have experience in affiliated ball in the minor leagues. Our greatest accomplishment was that we signed two guys who were then signed by major league organizations, which was just the best part of this whole process because they were sitting at home. They hadn't been drafted. They hadn't been signed by anyone. They were essentially retired, you know, like looking at what they were going to do next. And we found them, you know, using stats and a spreadsheet. And we called them up and, you know, sight unseen said, come play for us. And they were really good. And, you know, so now one of them is playing for the Brewers in their system and one of them is playing for the Padres in their system. So, great. yeah, it was incredible. And uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it just, there were so many moments where, you know, we were trying to get the team to do unorthodox things. And we've been talking about small samples and sample size and that kind of thing. And, you know, Sam and I might say, well, we think this strategy makes sense. And over the full season, it'll really help us and it'll make us better. But if it didn't work, like the first time we tried it, (laughs) we were not going to get to try it again. You know, like if we were trying to do some weird defensive positioning thing or, you know, we tried to bring back the fireman from like the 70s and 80s where you'd bring in instead of, you know, saving your closer for the the ninth inning, one inning save situation. You bring in your best reliever in like the sixth inning or the seventh inning when it really matters. There's Frank Cone is doing that now. Yeah, I I wrote about that recently. Yeah. Uh, But we tried to do that. And, you know, like the first time we brought in our closer, essentially in like the fifth inning (laughs) against our (laughs) division rival with the bases loaded, like if he had coughed up those runs right there, like. It might be a good idea in theory, you know, and maybe if we had kept doing it for the rest of the season, it would have worked out fine. But, you know, the players were already like, what is going on? Why are we bringing this guy in right now? And he got out of the jam, you know, and like if he hadn't, that's it. Like we might not get to do that again, but he did. And so Sam and I were just like, you know, these guys who are usually thinking, oh, you know, sample size and like in the long run, this will work out. Like, no, we needed it to work out in this one specific instance. So that's kind of, you know, what the title of the book, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work, comes from is like, you know, it has to work right now. Like might, <laughs> might be a good idea, but it really has to work. We're just going to take a brief break so that I can tell you how to get in touch with Anthony or me. You can follow us on Twitter at ClubhousePod. Visit our website, clubhousepodcast.com, for extensive links and information about some of the baseball moments we discussed on the show. There are also photos from our cross-country road trip for you to peruse at your leisure. We love hearing from our listeners and getting you involved with the discussion. So please email us at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about your favorite baseball stories, your favorite baseball films, why your team or ballpark is so special, or honestly, just if you want to say hello. If you are a new listener to the Clubhouse Podcast, welcome. For more great baseball conversations, take a look at our archives, like our chat with American author and former editor-in-chief of Salon.com, Joan Walsh. In this clip, Joan shares with us her interactions with Barry Bonds during her days as a reporter in San Francisco. So one thing to say is that I never, I never approached him as a reporter. When I was doing the book, I was told, don't even try to talk to Barry. Sure. And so I didn't. But I talked to Barry in the sense that I saw him taping his fingers once. And he was just like in so much pain. And he was like, I'm, I'm in pain every day. Don't you understand? But in a nice way. Don't you understand that? And then he was really nice to my daughter because she was around all the time. And now back to our chat with Ben Lindbergh. And and we have to talk about uh, Sean Conroy. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you can please just explain a little bit about this this awesome dude. And, yeah. Uh, so Sean was one of the players we signed. He became the the first <coughs> openly gay player in professional baseball last year, which was amazing and not a storyline that we expected to be part of our season. We signed him, again, based on stats. He was a, a Division three sidearm pitcher from an engineering school in upstate New York, not a hotbed of baseball talent, but he had great stats. And <laughs> we called him up and said, come play for us. And no one else was calling him and no one else was drafting him. So he came and he was great. He was one of the best pitchers in the league, 
awesome. If that had been the whole story, that would have been a great story. But that wasn't the whole story. You know, a couple weeks into the season, we find out he's gay. And, you know, everyone he played with as an amateur knew this, but we didn't know. And no one knew when he showed up to this team. But, you know, he was just not willing to hide it. He was just who he was. He was going to be frank and open and honest with everyone. And we were just going to see how that went. So we got, <laughs> you know, a front row seat to to history, basically. And, and his first start, he made a start for the Stompers on Pride Night last June. And, you know, he pitched a complete game shutout. It was awesome. <laughs> wow. Uh, Come on. <laughs> yeah, it was like, you know. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you pitched that story to him, Hollywood, they'd be like, Come on. I know. Yeah. And the, the scorecard from the game ended up in the Hall of Fame. Cooperstown called and said, send us this scorecard. Oh, that's cool. and I literally was going to chill down my spot. It that's was cool. amazing. Oh. Like, we did not expect that anything we could do could lead to like something being on display in the Hall of Fame, but it actually happened. And I think he's been an example to other athletes. There was a, a Brewers minor leaguer, David Denson. Yeah, he came who, out. Yeah. He came out last year yeah. after Sean, and yeah. he spoke to Sean before he made that decision. And yeah. he said, you know, how was it for you? How did this go? Should I be worried? Should I do it? And Sean said yes, because... It worked really well. Like, there was no issue. I, you know, I don't know with a different clubhouse and a different group of guys, maybe it would have worked out differently. But there was just, you know, Sean had already established himself as a well-liked guy, as a good pitcher. So he was part of the team. And, you know, when people found out he was gay, it was just like, all right, well, <laughs> Sean's gay now. But, you know, yeah. that's OK. Well, you know? That's fine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. We, we liked him before. We yeah. still like yeah. him, you know. Is, uh, <laughs> so, is he still is he still? He was with the Stompers this past year. Yeah, he's still. So, yeah. Yeah. But what was that process like? So, I mean, all right. So I'm curious. I mean, we'd have to we'll have to have him on maybe to ask him specifically. But but. I'm curious if if it was a conscious decision on his part to be like, I'm going to come in for a couple of weeks first. Like, was there a coming out or was it just like, did he bring yeah. his boyfriend in or like, was it? Yeah, was it, it, it wasn't like, uh, you know, there wasn't like a dramatic address to the team or anything. You know, when we, we kind of found out about it, he told the owner of the team one day, he just kind of mentioned it casually and, you know, <laughs> it filtered down to us and. And we were ready to, like, do whatever we could to help him with this, you know? Like, if there was someone who objected to this, we were all ready to, oh, you know, get rid of this guy. We were happy to do whatever we could to ease this process for him. But as it turned out, we didn't really have to do anything. And, you know, I remember going up to him the first day, you know, and being like, so are you going to address the team or anything? And he was like, no, you know, I'll just kind of mention it as it comes up. And, you know, it, he didn't make a big deal out of it. And it, and it wasn't new to him because, you know, he had been through this in high school and college and right. his former teammates knew. So he didn't want to come in and, you know, just announce it on day one. You know, here I am. I'm Sean Conroy, <laughs> the first openly gay professional baseball player, you know. But he wanted to kind of, you know, how it would come up naturally, I guess, in a conversation. You know, it's not the first thing you announce necessarily. So it just happened very organically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a, a period, I think, where people were kind of watching what they said around him because, you know, it's a locker room. It's a bunch of 20-something guys. There's going to be a lot of off-color humor uh, you know, stuff that probably would qualify as harassment in any other workplace <laughs> is kind of the norm in a clubhouse. Yeah. Uh, and Sean welcomed that, you know, for a while it was like, oh, can we say this around Sean? I don't know what we can say, what we can't say. Can we make this joke? And, you know, like there were a couple of times where someone did make a joke and he 
just, he laughed. He made it clear that it was okay. Like he wanted to be part of the team and part of the team is, you know, getting ragged for whatever, sure, like sure. your appearance, your background, like all <laughs> kinds of inappropriate stuff is like yeah. fodder for, you know, comedy in a baseball clubhouse. So he wanted that to be fair game. That's so, great. Yeah. That's Hooray. Great. Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> and pitching a shutout on Pride Night. Come on. Well, I mean, because honestly, the way you just describe it, though, it's, and I'm sitting here trying to think of the of the umpire's name, and I this is what's, I think, the best thing about the whole thing. I can't even remember which ump it oh, was. Right. Yeah. yeah. Who was it? See, none yeah. of us can, it doesn't even, <laughs> it doesn't, it yeah, doesn't like, matter, yeah. but yeah. I love the fact yeah. that this umpire came out. Yeah. In like hunting and fishing magazine or yes, some such yes, nonsense. Yeah, right. just a picture of him with his husband. Yes, <laughs> yes. We're right. just like in the off season. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, me and my husband are doing whatever. Wait, what now? You're yeah. who now? You're what? Yeah, right. yeah whatever. Move on. <laughs> yeah. It's like yay. That's that's the way. Like it it. And okay, I can't I can't judge anybody based on their own coming out. Like however mm-hmm. you're gonna do it, you're gonna do it, and then sure. it's not for me to say. But that's if you're gonna integrate yourself into the league, it's it's that's that's I think the best way to do it. Look, it's a part of who I am. It doesn't define who I am. It's it's you know let's let's just do it. Yeah. And right. um, oh man, that is that is that's really really cool. <laughs> I mean, do you? I mean, you are gonna be an expert on this because you were you know the man in charge. Now you said you did have a good experience with your team but how ready do you think major league baseball is for that to happen i mean based on that one experience perfectly ready you know there's there's always kind of been this discussion would it be a distraction you know would it would (coughs) players object to this i mean i don't know you know there was a i think a case of a cardinals minor leaguer who yeah who had a, a much tougher time with this and, you know, was driven out of baseball because of it. Well, so, he, well he chose, he, he removed himself. Like right, he, yes. They, they, he was hearing the comments yeah. that coaches and players were making about gay people, exactly, like really, right. really negative comments, and he decided he couldn't be, he he hadn't come out to them. Yes. Uh-huh. He decided he couldn't be in that environment anymore. Right. So the, it's an interesting question, though, because had he come out after that point, could he have made a difference? Could yeah. would it would the culture have changed? I mean, who knows? It's uh-huh. a, it's and I'm not saying he should or shouldn't have. I'm just saying it's a different it's a different test case scenario because he wasn't open. Yeah. And I mean, you know? look, you know, it's it's been a big deal in other sports where this has happened and the first person has come along and, you know, there's a, a bunch of attention paid to it initially and then, you know, he's just one of the players. So I, I you know, look, there might be isolated cases where it could develop into a problem, but I really think, you know, based on what I saw with the Stompers and just based on sort of where we are as a society in yeah. 2016, I, you know, I think it would go just fine. Yeah, I think ultimately it is that it's, it's generationally. I think the yeah. younger kids just genuinely do not care about this whatsoever. So, yeah. so I think eventually it'll happen, hopefully sooner rather than later, you know, in in the big leagues. But, uh-huh. uh, man, that's got to be just, just – from a, a uh, writer to writer, that's just got to be like, you wake up and like, are you, ki- are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. Thank yeah, you. Right. You just, you know. Yeah, we. Complete game. Well, even just, just, even just knowing you have a book to come and right, you've got yeah. a player that's going to be gay. It's like, yeah. oh, are you, that's, the, hey, editor, hey, publishers, <laughs> please. Yeah, right. We, we tried to, you know, appreciate that this was not just about our book. There's a, a yeah. bigger significance to this, but as people who had to craft a story, you know, yep. it was not the worst material. So. Believe me, I've been writing, I've been working on my book for the last couple of years now. Yeah. And if I could find that one golden through line like that, it's like, oh, yeah. it's solved. Thank you. <laughs> uh, um, we're gonna have to wrap it up pretty soon here, just because we've we've been uh, going uh, pretty long here. But uh, I want to talk. Well, well, first of all, do you have any questions about the the Stompers experience before we move on from that? So, how did you guys do? 
Uh, well, I won't give away everything. Oh, I'm sorry. Spoil it. Well, but, can, uh, look a book. can you look it book. up, though? Can you look you can. it up? Yeah, sure okay. you can. But buy the book. But buy the book. But I mean, but, uh, I will say yeah. that we uh, we got to experience the full spectrum of, of baseball in a single season. I think we had the hottest of hot streaks, the coldest of cold streaks. Ultimately, we did well. We did better than the team had done the year before. Yeah. And I won't give away how the, the final okay. climactic yep, sure, game sure, goes, sure, but sure. I will say that we got to a final climactic game. So we were That's great. We were playing meaningful baseball up until the last minute of the season. That's so. fantastic. Yeah, cool. yeah. Do you think you'd want to do it again or in a on a larger scale or or is this kind of yeah, it was great in, in many ways, uh, and we've had the opportunity to do it again. It was just, you know, I, I moved across the country to do it. Sam has a family. He neglected all summer to do this. <laughs> and so without sort of a project attached to it, it right. would be tough to make work just time-wise and money-wise. But well, would you want to do it full-time? Would you want to do a, a, a career change and say, you know what, I want to try this for a little bit? I don't think so. That was my initial plan, and, and I just realized, you know, I, I like being able to write and podcast and kind of, you know, if you work for a team, everything you do is secret and, and you there's no interaction <laughs> with, uh, you know, like I like the interaction with readers and listeners. Secret. It's it's cool. Gosh. You know, like if you if you work for a team, yeah, Don't no one gets to see what you do. And, and you know, you uh, I like the writer's cool lifestyle. Right. You know, I, I like yeah. I can choose what I want to work on and write about and, you know, work on it in the middle of the night if I feel like it and work on it from home. And that sort of suits me well also. Sure. No. I mean, do you, uh, are you going to keep in touch with with uh, I'm sure there are some guys you got along with some guys you didn't. But but do you think that there's some guys on that in that, you know, in the clubhouse, in the front office, just in that organization that that you're going to stay in touch with? Or was it oh, kind yeah. of a project based thing and now you're moving on? No, definitely. You know, I'm sure there are some guys we'll never see again, but there are definitely guys we've stayed in very close touch with. Uh, the GM of the team, Theo Fightmaster, which is his actual name. Fightmaster? Fightmaster. Once again, this is ludicrous. <laughs> this is ludicrous. <laughs> it's uh, his documented name. We did not make this up. He's, uh, he's great. You know, we got to be really great friends with him. So we've stayed in touch with him. We've stayed in touch with some of the players. So yeah, definitely made some lifelong friends during this process. And, you know, we set up a whole scouting network. So we had volunteers at every game charting pitches with radar guns and computers. And we had Pitch FX installed in this little independent league ballpark. Oh, wow. So we were able to track every pitch that was thrown and every ball that was hit. So we had just this unprecedented treasure trove of data for indie ball. So, you know, we we just got to do everything we had hoped to do when we set out to start this project. And these scouts that you had, you trained, uh, are they, did you train them specifically to say this is exactly, or were they, so you said they're volunteers. So were yeah. they, I'm assuming they weren't already baseball scouts to begin with, or, or no, what were they? there were people who had some experience in baseball, like they knew what they were watching. But they weren't but scouts. They were not scout scouts. Okay. Like, you know, we just wanted to record everything that happened because when we got there, Sam and I are used to having just every event that happens on the field at our fingertips going back decades, if not centuries. When we got to the Pacific Association, none of that existed really. So it was like going back in time a few decades. And we had to gather that information ourselves. So we had all of these listeners and readers who were really excited about the project and some of them lived in the area. So they would go to all the games and we had this program that major league teams use to chart pitches. So you're, you know, you're on your screen at the game and you're 
saying, oh, he threw this pitch and I had my radar gun. It was this miles per hour and it was thrown here and I'm going to click on the strike zone diagram where it was thrown. And so you could get these very detailed stats for the full season. And so we were at every game recording this information and trying to pick up on tendencies, you know, oh, this guy can't hit whatever, breaking balls, you know, this speed in this area. We were trying to crunch all those numbers. And so it was really great experience. You know, we were filming all the games. Uh, we were, you know, showing the players their clips, you know, how they were hitting. And and if we were going into a, a matchup, we could say, here's the last time you faced this starting pitcher, which is normal at the major league level, but none of these guys had ever seen anything like oh, that at their level. So sure. yeah. they were very into that also. So yeah. it was great. We really got to just do every part of the baseball experience in a very short span of time. That's very cool. That's really cool. And then with scouts, mm-hmm. Had you had traditional scouts, let's say, yeah, and but had been able to train them and say, we want you to look specifically for X, Y, and Z, is there a part of traditional baseball scouting that do you think could vibe with just looking at the stats? Because I actually did. I like, I love the idea of we're just going to do it just with the stats, just with the spreadsheets, just with the numbers. Yeah. I actually don't. I think that's a phenomenal idea, and I, and I would like to see more of that happening because it's just it's once again who knows it could it absolutely could work and it could change the game to the to the next level. But do you think that there is a way for for traditional scouts, the eye test as uh-huh. people like to call it, to work hand in hand with that? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, if we had had the option to have a okay. scouting staff, oh definitely. We uh, we had no resources <laughs> and we were trying trying to do this kind of by the seat of our pants. So, you know, we we couldn't uh, afford, we didn't have a professional <laughs> scouting staff. So, you know, Sam and I know the numbers. So we right. use the numbers to compensate for our weaknesses in, in other areas. But definitely, I mean, every major league team I mentioned earlier has hired more and more stat people every year, but has also hired more and more scouts because it's information and it's valuable. And some of the teams are even turning the scouting information into stats in a way. So, you know, scouts put grades on players, right? right. Tool grades on players. And so you have this sample, you have, okay, well, here's, you know, this scout's reports going back 10 years. So we can look and say, well, you know, how does he compare to the other scouts? Does he tend to give more favorable grades to players or less favorable grades? And we can then adjust it and say, okay, well, if this guy says that player X has 40 power, is that the same as this other scout saying he has 50 power? And you can kind of normalize it that way. And you can also say, well, you know, based on our scouting grades for this player, what would we project for him going forward? Because we can say we have this database of scouting reports and, you know, here's a a player who had a 55 overall future potential. You know, scouts put the grades between 20 and 80. And so that's, you know, the one number that says how good this guy is going to be. Well, okay. So, you know, look back at the history of scouting reports and say, well, a, a guy with a 55 overall future potential, generally he tends out to be worth X, you know, and so teams are turning the scouting information into data, basically. And, uh, you know, that's happening more and more just as the scouts. We talked about the StatCast system. That's essentially giving you what used to be scouting information. You know, how fast is this guy? What does he throw? Does his pitch spin a lot? How hard does he hit the ball? These are all things that scouts used to tell you and still do tell you. Now, some of them can be numbers, but scouts can tell you in one game, you know, something that stats might need a while to have a large enough sample to say, this guy's a good fielder. A scout who's good at his job might be able to say he's a good fielder based on two games or something. So this makes me happy. <laughs> no, know, I'm serious. 
is. Because it's like the marriage of all of it. That's that's exactly. Exactly. And honestly, yeah. I think that's at the end of the day, at the end of this, 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 uh, uh, which I believe actually we're probably going to break up into two parts because <laughs> uh-huh. we went a little bit longer than I anticipated. But uh, I think. If you've listened to both of these parts, part one is where you heard me being curmudgeonly and old and, and, and a bit of a ninny. But uh, I think that, uh, what? Ninny. <laughs> I saw it in your eyes. You were judging my word choice. But I think here's where I'm going to land. Before I ask you your final question, I think here's okay. where, where, where I'm going to land on this whole thing. We need more people like yourself out there to explain to the world, which you are doing a wonderful job already, but we need <laughs> more you. of you. Uh-huh. Because when I talk to you about this stuff... I need work. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't need more of me. That is enough. true. All right, fine. Well, then you just need to be louder. I'll just Ex- work harder. Yeah, work harder. Okay. Do more things. Okay. That laundry list of, of credits that I gave you at the beginning needs to be yeah. 10 times longer. All right. But I, I, I think that... that uh, <laughs> And, and I have nothing against the man personally. I'm sure I've, I've met him once and he was lovely to me. And he was a very genuinely nice human being. But but Brian Kenny uh-huh. needs to just pull the reins back just a little bit because <laughs> folks like him and his ilk yeah. make it so difficult. They make it so inaccessible. and they I, make it. I, I think he's just trying to be a foil on the, on the air. I'm with sure Because he he's too. talking yeah. to the players and the players have their old school uh, right. ways of talking about things. And he, I think he's just trying to be a and foil. And that's great, but yeah. he's become... Which I think he kind of wanted this. He's become the face of this movement. Mm-hmm. And much like we were talking about Sean, had he just come out day one and said, hey, everybody, this is what I am and you better deal with it. Uh-huh. It may have gone well, but it also could rub people the wrong way that it wouldn't necessarily have rubbed the wrong way had you just been a little more congenial about it and uh-huh. been more understanding that we need to try and include everybody and not you know separate everybody yeah right and, and like because hr does the same thing harold reynolds you know is is on the other side you know mm-hmm. when they've got he's so anti that where i don't like it when he does that either where it's like that's so we need more well we need you to do this more and, and let us know <laughs> that there is a marriage of all of us and yeah thing. well i mean i you know i like brian i'm biased because he yeah. puts me on tv and he puts uh, <laughs> other nerds like me on tv exactly. and that's the one thing that really no one else does you yeah. know like no one will put someone like me on TV to talk about stats and he will put me on that panel with the X player and, right. you know, the guy who breaks news or whatever. And, and he'll give me a place at that table, which I think is pretty valuable. And, and people like me should be grateful to him for that. I agree. You know, like he has this kind of combative on air persona. And, exactly. You know, I, I had him on my podcast not long ago to talk about that. And and yeah, I think part of it is just that it's hard to get into the nuance on TV and you want to have good TV and have the debate and all that sort of thing. And, and it's also that, you know, he deals with sort of more, I guess, old school fans than I tend to. So, you know, True. like people who have written for the sites that I write for will say, you know, you're fighting this battle that has been won already. Like, you know, why are you yelling at people about pitch, pitcher wins or whatever? Because we all know pitcher wins aren't the best way to evaluate a pitcher, right? No, sure, not the best way, yeah, but they are our way. I don't think they're the best yeah, way, but I they're guess. Oh. <laughs> Come on, Manish. If, if you have uh. no other ways, like it is a way. Mm. Uh, anyway. But, um, <laughs> okay. He is on air every day. With he's, this. he's in a fantasy league that still counts wins. Well, First of most, all, most do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Boo. We're not going to into fantasy this is I, I, i'm probably one and done with my fantasy experience but uh uh, uh <laughs> but all right but no so yeah I, i'm once again i'm not speaking ill of brian yeah, yeah. it's it's more it's it's one thing it's her it's his persona that yeah. i i i'm you know uh and i get it i i can't imagine what it's like for him getting hammered with 
the people like myself who are 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 you know yelling at him that yeah. he's wrong and everything right, right, he right. believes in is wrong yes. and I don't believe that yeah um, but and and I do think it's great that he's giving voice to yeah. to uh, uh, folks that necessarily wouldn't be getting voices yeah. and stuff like that and once again it's going to be a process yes I think over the years <laughs> we're all going to be just one big happy family right so now we normally end each podcast we didn't really talk about it this much on this podcast on, on this episode but normally we talk about why you love the game and, and your memories of growing up and watching the game but what we normally like to end each episode with is trying to ask the guest kind of if you can pinpoint that one moment that one memory that quintessential baseball moment that that made you think to yourself this is why i'm a baseball fan this is why i put up with you know eight months of, of this every single year and then yeah. four months of of the cold cold long off season but this is this is why i love this sport right so yeah well I, again when i was growing up and being a fan of the game i didn't have to have much hardship in my life you didn't so suffer i didn't That's suffer all right though it's so okay so it wasn't like oh this is the moment that made all the, what know, was the best of the all six of those? months between world series championships <laughs> oh, finally the wait is over oh god uh so oh. i don't know I, I guess my my best moment as a fan was probably the Aaron Boone game, which I was at, you know, in the upper deck in the 2003 ALCS when he hit the home run and walked off off Wakefield and, you know, killed the Red Sox again. And that was <laughs> kind of toward the tail end of my fandom, I guess. You know, I, I probably lost it a few years after that to a certain extent. But at that point, I was still very much a Yankees fan. And that moment, you know, just the sheer euphoria of a series ending home run against your rival <laughs> to make the World Series is, you know, you can't beat that. And I'm just assuming that 09 is when you worked for them? Yes, okay. I was there then. Yeah, okay. so that was cool too. You know, I, I got to go to the clubhouse after the game and drink champagne and, you know, be in the ticker tape parade. And and so that was different and awesome in a, in a different way. Right. Uh, but yeah, the sort of childhood excitement of it was not quite the same. You know, just like when it's your job and you're in the office every day, it's right. it's a little different. So And you had responsibilities even in all that stuff too. Yeah. Even in celebration, right? Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Not that I had, you know, an integral role in winning the World Series or anything. No, no, but but, but you have to be <laughs> but you have to be mindful of things. Yeah, you couldn't right. just simply be celebrated, right? You had to Yeah. I mean yeah. we we did get to go down and, you know, drink and do cartwheels on the field and <laughs> you know, people were smoking cigars and that kind of thing. So it wasn't as if I, I needed to do a whole lot of work that night. <laughs> we and were we were celebrating, but uh, but from my perspective, you had an unquantifiable effect on that team, yes. and so I think you played definitely unquantifiable. You played, yes. but you played a role. I can't put a number on it, but you played a role in that 2009 World Series I championship. Was the secret chemistry of the there 2009 yes, World yes, Series. Yes. Yeah, you were the barium. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so very, very, very much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. We've been trying to to make this happen for a while now, yeah. and just with all of our crazy, ridiculous schedules. But mm -hmm. uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, is there anything that uh, you'd like to plug? The book again, your Twitter, your your uh, site, yeah, anything? sure. Uh, yeah, the book is the only rules it has to work. The website for the book is thetitle.com, the only rules it has to work.com. So you know, we link to all the excerpts and reviews and interviews and everything there if you want to read more about it before you buy it. And you can find me on Twitter at Ben Lindbergh, and you know, I'll link to everything I write or do there basically. So I, I write for the Ringer, theringer.com, and I do the the baseball podcast there, and I still do Effectively Wild, the baseball prospectus podcast. It's not enough, so. Ben. It's not enough. Not <laughs> we, nearly enough. We need more of you out there. I told you. <laughs> I'm trying. All right. <laughs> Mr. Rapp, it's good to have you back, sir. Oh, hi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you very, very, very much.
You're thanking me very, I very, am very thanking much? you very, very, very wow. much. Wow. Because we haven't really, you this know. This is so uncommon, Ben. You don't understand. He's not usually nice <laughs> to me at all. Takes you for granted. Yeah, yeah, I know. Come on. You're well, a good influence. Thank you. Yeah, my all pleasure. Right. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you very much for listening. You can follow uh, Mr. Rap at Albino Kid. Myself, I'm at Rounding Third MJ. Oh, I forgot to mention that um, uh, we're trying to, uh, for those of you who want to have us talk about specific topics on on the on the weeks that we may not be lucky enough to have a wonderful guest like this. Uh, if you go ahead and just hashtag Clubhouse Stories. Ooh, now with Twitter, they're not counting the app mentions and all that nonsense. So you can even write more in your Twitter. I don't know. It's some weird Twitter. You can have happening. more characters now? Yeah. Oh, it's still 140, but it's not counting like photos and, and at mentions right. and all that quotes. stuff. So quotes. So which is which is good. But um, so, yeah, at hashtag Clubhouse Stories and just let us know if there's any uh, topics you want to discuss, if there's any guests you want to see on the podcast or, or, or whatever. Just if you want to talk to us, hashtag clubhouse stories um we are at clubhouse pod on the tweeters uh yeah so i think that should be it thank you so much for listening we will see you next time here in the clubhouse the home base for the clubhouse podcast is the Bergino baseball clubhouse located at 67 east 11th street in new york city seriously folks this is without a doubt my favorite baseball spot in the country from the baseball-inspired artwork on the walls to the one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale and the amazing baseball fans that are just hanging out on the bleachers inside the store, this place is the best. If you can't make it into Bergino's in person, please visit Bergino.com and pick up a gift for your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, really anybody in your life, or even just yourself. If you can make it in, make sure you mention the podcast and you'll get a free bag tag with any purchase. You can follow Anthony and I individually at Rounding Third MJ for me and at Albino Kid for Anthony. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.